This episode of the Film Comment Podcast is sponsored by Amazon Studios, presenting Borat's subsequent movie film. Nominated for two Academy Awards, Best Supporting Actress, Maria Bakalova, and Best Adapted Screenplay, and the winner of a WGA Award for Outstanding Adapted Screenplay, Borat's subsequent movie film is streaming now on Prime Video. Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. I'm Devika Girish, the co-deputy editor of Film Comment. My co-host Clinton Crute was out last week, so it's just me on this episode. But luckily, I was joined by a very eloquent and insightful guest, Raoul Peck, the Haitian filmmaker whom you may know from acclaimed works like Lumumba, The Young Karl Marx, and I'm Not Your Negro. Peck's newest project is a four-part HBO documentary series called Exterminate All the Brutes, which is based on three books, Exterminate All the Brutes by Sven Lindquist, An Indigenous People's History of the United States by Roxanne Dunbar-Ortiz, and Silencing the Past by Michelle Rolfe Trudeau. Peck combines archival footage, animations, home videos, scripted scenes, and a personal voiceover to craft a history of the world from a perspective rarely centered in such narratives, the perspective of the colonized. I was glad to be able to dig into some of the themes of the series with Peck and learn about his process in putting it all together. Keep listening for our full conversation, and you can also read an excerpt online at filmcommon.com. And a special thank you to our sponsors, Mubi and Amazon Studios, for supporting this episode. Hi, Raul. I'm so glad to have you with us today. Thank you for making the time. Hi, my pleasure. Your new series, uh, Exterminate All Brutes, comes out next week. We're recording, uh, you know, the week prior to its release on HBO Max. And I just f- finished watching all four hours and it's it's really quite incredible. Uh, how are you feeling about it? Well, uh, like after work in the mine, I am exhausted. <laughs> but we are happy to have gone through this somehow impossible project uh, because when I started it, I had no clue about was it going to be a film, you know? And, and for me, that was the only way to go into this project is to, to you know, take the risk uh, to tackle such a huge chunk of history. And in particular, uh, because it was the, the most important chunk of history. It, it was basically the moment of definition of who we are today or who the Eurocentric world is and have been dominating history for hundreds of years. So it was in terms of filmmaking, it was a really uh, a complicated process. I had to invent the way to work with so much material um, and with the added difficulty of uh, scripted uh, uh, narrative as well, you know, which is something I, I wanted and I had to add after my experience on uh, I Am Not Your Negro. And, and, and I think it's thanks to the way I edit uh, I Am Not Your Negro, the risk I took as well, uh, because that was all, as well a, a complicated film to, to make. I felt that, well, I, I can't take the risk for, uh, you know, exterminate all the brutes. The film had to find its own form as well. 
I definitely want to return to talking about the scripted elements and the link to I'm not your Negro, but I just wanted to back up for a second and you know, ask you about how you got interested in this project and how it came to fruition. So it's it's sort of the episodes are based on three texts, right? By um, you know, three authors, all of whom you say in the series you've known personally for a while. So can you talk a little bit about the point at which the decision to turn it into a film uh, emerged? In fact, the way it went, uh, and and it's probably most of my project uh, are the same. Uh, it has to be for me a, a very organic moment. I don't plan the way I say, well, I have to make this film in particular. Um, it's usually in particular this one because I didn't even knew that there could be a film like the one I, I imagined and like the one it became. So um, I just knew after uh, I Am Not Your Negro that, you know, going around the world with the film, uh, you know, the film had incredible success everywhere. And, and I realized how each place had its own interpretation, uh, even though uh, they all were aware that in their life, there was the same type of segregation that exists in America in their own country, just different skin colors of different parts of the population. But uh, the, the, the phenomena of not wanting to see the other was similar everywhere whether it's Australia, whether it's Britain, whether it's Brazil, uh, you know, uh, the experiences were, were the same. Uh, but still, I, I, I felt that people were still refusing to go all the way and to see it, to see beyond a very recent phenomena of racism. Because in fact, historically, you can say, well, uh, all the, racist theory were uh, uh, fabricated uh, at, toward the end of the 19th century, you know, and it's, that's when it started. No, it started multiple hundred years prior. And, and I had to document that. I had to show that this is a way bigger story. And, and at the same time, it's a story we can comprehend. And if we don't have this um, how do I say, this wider perspective about this story, you cannot understand the trouble you are in right now. You know? So um, it was a bold attempt for me to, to try to deconstruct this whole story from the start, where it started around the uh, 12 uh, centuries ago and the 12th century. Uh, so the book, the Sven Lindquist book, Exterminate All the Brute, uh, which is, uh, the, the sentence is of course from uh, Conrad's novel, uh, Heart of Darkness. And when I read uh, Sven's book, uh, it was for me the perfect way to grasp this whole story and to make all the different connection, uh, you know, uh, about, you know, who started the killing, what instrument did we start the killing with for, 
what kind of state nation existed, what, what are the place of the different powers, etc. Um, and and Linguist, because he's uh, also somebody who has traveled the world and who have gone personally as well through different type of experiences and, um, and live it through his own uh, body. Uh, he found an incredible way to tell me the story and to tell a lot of other people because the, film, the, the book was an incredible uh, um, uh, success in, in Europe. Uh, and I think it's also edited in English in America. So, uh, and I met Sven I, and, and we had long talks. We had, you know, basically finding each other in terms of our respective experiences. And, and I decided I'm going to start the project with this book because I think we have everything in it. And as I continue to work on it, as, I, as we continue in the discussion, I felt the need to include now because America became such an important focus point, an important moment, because with America started the theory of discovery. For the first time, somebody could can put his boots on a territory and say, this is mine. Uh, and that will change the whole story. So, uh, and I did some research to find how can I tackle this and with whom and who would be the best uh, person, the best collaborator to, to do that. And that's when I found uh, Roxanne Domba artist's book. Uh, the indigenous history of America, of the United States of America. And, and I contacted Roxanne and, and we had great conversation and we met in New York for multiple days and of a sort of seminary and, and, and really uh, bonded together and, and she got it uh, where I wanted to go. And, uh, and, and also it, it meets her own experiences through her own life. Uh, and so it was clear. And then the third book, which is uh, Michel Rolf Trouillot, a Haitian American scholar, who I know also from his book All My Life and who I also met uh, sometimes uh, back in the days. Uh, and and uh, he, uh, he, he, um, he wrote a lot about the place of Haiti in that context. Because Haiti, uh, no matter what uh, one might think, is the first country ever to have stopped slavery on the planet. In a, and it did so against the most powerful armies of the world, against the French, against the British, against the Americans, and against the Spanish. And this first nation of slaves, of African descent, because 60% uh, of Toussaint Louverture army, army uh, was born in Africa. You know, they were not just born in Haiti and grew up as Haiti. No, they were, uh, they were brought up uh, uh, as a slave from Africa and they were part of the revolution. So that story changed everything as well. So I had now the three main components for the deconstruction. 
you know, and they are solid. You know, that's where, because I like to be solid in the stories I, I, I tell. And, and I knew that uh, specifically because of this particular story, uh, because I'm going against the, 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 the skin of many, many people, because for, for a great deal of people, this is news, you know, it, it shattered their way of seeing themselves, of seeing their own country, of seeing uh, history. And, uh, and so I knew I had to be solid. And, and, and those three uh, uh, people, you know, Roxanne, Sven, and Michel Holt are really incredible author. And I was really happy that they could make this voyage with me. Yeah, and I think just bringing the three of them together, like you said, it just covers everything. I mean, it gives you these three signposts uh, through which to understand history. So, and, and I think you can only understand this deconstruction having this the whole spectrum of those uh, uh, six, seven hundred years of history, because we we have unfortunately we are we live in a world where everything is cut in bits and pieces where you can have you cannot have the perspective of anything you know time is is cut up in little pieces and you you you're glued to the next minutes on twitter of the next second on twitter the next message so how can you have the perspective of where do you come from and what is your story how do we come to this situation right now uh, with the killings we have been seeing, uh, with the bombing we have been seeing in certain countries, with a colonization that we are still seeing in part of the Middle East. Uh, all these things are explainable because they not just come out of thin air. They are the, the follow-up of a long history of domination. And until we can understand that, we, we cannot bring answers to what we are confronting uh, today. You approach these histories through a mix of various modes uh, in the series. So you have archival footage, uh, you have animation, you have scripted scenes, you have a voiceover. I'm curious, what did you start with? Like, what was the first thing that you were working on out of all these elements? First of all, uh, you have to understand that uh, I am confronted with a reality. You know, I don't have 600 years of archive of my own story. Uh, cinema is known uh, since 200, 250 years, and they were not dealing with my story. I don't see myself on the screen today still. So I knew that if I have to deconstruct a story of more than 600 years, where do I find the material? I have to use the material of the other, the one that had the power, the one who ruled the world. So, uh, and that's when I, I use uh, Malcolm X term with any means necessary. Meaning I have to find the right images. 
I find to I have to find the right music, the right uh, the the right uh, 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 clips, uh, everything I can put my hands on, and that serves my purpose, you know. And and you know, in Haiti, that's what we do. We we reconvert everything, you know. We make new object out of them, and and that's the price. Uh, that's the only way I can deal with this reality. And and how do I use, by example, photos? You know, all those colonial photos. You know, I had to play with them all sort of way to approach them different way in order to deconstruct them. You know, and also make certain choices. You know, to always, almost always, choose photos where the object, the person, the subject is looking straight into the camera. Because that's the only moment you can feel some sort of humanity. You know, despite the person, the photograph probably having a very, uh, you know, condescending thought about the, the subject. Uh, and it goes all the way, uh, you know, to, to the Holocaust as well. When you see those Nazi officers taking photos of their uh, victims. You know, I have to show, to bring those victims dignity. I'm looking back, right? Like yes. To make the audience feel perceived by uh, the people in the photos and not just perceiving them. Exactly, it, it's about humanity. It's not about victims. It's about what happened to these people. They are people, they are not objects. They are not insects. You know, that's the whole debate as well about the use of words, the use of, you know, Trouillot says uh, naming is power. The one who can name has power. And by naming, he assigned a certain position in that history, in that story, in uh, that particular circumstance. Meaning uh, if he decides you're not a human being, you are an insect. He gives himself the authorization to kill you like an insect. So nothing is innocent in those elements. And so in the material I choose as well, I had to make sure that I control them and that they are not telling another story that I don't want to tell or that they, just, they don't just retell the same story they have been used to tell all along those years. So that's the same way I use Hollywood clip as well. You know, they are so somehow so transparent when you place them in the proper context, you know? Uh, and, and they are mind blowing because suddenly you say, oh my God, they, they didn't do this. Yes, they did. And hundreds of hundreds of thousand people uh, went to see them and they cheer them. But what did it meant for the rest of humanity? It was ter terrible, you know? So in the series itself, you use a mix of fictionalization, scenes from Hollywood and other uh, filmmaking, you know, traditions as well. And there's this tension that you're exploring uh, between, I would say, our imaginings of what happened and what actually happened, right? Yes. And that goes back even to the title. Uh, when you say exterminate all the broods, that comes from Heart of Darkness. And you're pointing to this alliance between 
the world of art, the world of storytelling, and the world of history, this kind of alliance often based uh, in untruth, which I yeah. thought was really fascinating. Can you talk a little more about that? Why that was so important for you to implicate film and art history? Uh, because it, it's, uh, I, I just see art as one of the many ways uh, we are uh, indoctrinated. You know, it's, it's, we are, you know, we're not living in an innocent world. Uh, again, when I say, you know, naming is power is uh, the same thing. Uh, the one uh, who painting a, 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 a painting of a black girl being raped uh, in, in the 18th century, well, he painted from his own uh, perspective, from his own vision uh, of the world. And we know what that vision was at the time. Uh, uh, this light motive exterminate all the brute, uh, this sentence, uh, as, as Sven Lindquist says, uh, you can face it, you can trace it throughout European history. You know, it was always, um, almost always about eliminating uh, the ones that were perceived as the weakest link or as the, uh, the savage or as the, uh, you know, inferior uh, 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 human being or not even sometimes human being, inferior uh, being. Uh, so um, it, it goes through every aspect of society, uh, whether it's art, music, uh, uh, writing, uh, history, uh, etc. So I have, in fact, it, it uh, gives me the different uh, uh, level to respond, to deconstruct, you know, and, and sometimes it's just uh, if I decided I'm going to use animation, it's because I'm at a point where what I feel in terms of emotion, I cannot find other ways to show it. You know, uh, I have to invent my own images. You know, that image of this black man uh, jumping in the sea. And then after that, you find out how many thousands of skeletons are at the bottom of the sea throughout the Atlantic. It's how, how do you, where do you find that image? You know, so I have to, to try to approach it in the most, uh, you know, vivid way as possible, you know, and, and the fiction part as well, the scripted part uh, of the narrative were important because I have to bring people who are not used to see the world from the other side. You know, how do I bring you emotionally in that state? So the, the scripted part enables me to bring you emotionally in what it means to be the other if you have been on the side of the dominant narrative, you know, and what if, what if, at one point I say, what if the story was told the wrong way? That means I turn the mirror to you, and now you're looking at yourself, and you can't say, oh, this is me? That's impossible. I can't be that monster. Yes, but you are, you know. So that's, that's a whole voyage, you know, 
No, I'm curious, uh, when you were a child or when you were having your formative cinematic experiences, do you remember watching a particular movie or image that made you aware of how the West perceived you? Well, yes, everything I was watching. I mean, uh, you know, in Haiti, uh, when I was, uh, um, you know, a younger age, alone in Port-au-Prince, there was uh, something like uh, 10 driving scenes. And I'm, I'm just talking about driving, not the other cinemas. Uh, in every city, there was a cinema. So, and, uh, you know, we got mostly American films and some European films, but, uh, you know, I, I grew up looking, watching Tarzan, watching Hopal and Cassidy, writing, you know, all the Westerns, you know, um, and uh, later on in Congo, it was the same. Later on in France, it was the same. Don't forget, Hollywood have invaded the world. You know, after the war, there was not a single country that did not have, you know, uh, hundreds of Hollywood films sh sh being shown every day, you know. So I grew up on those films. They, they were, you know, the, on the contrary, I, I, I rarely seen film uh, where I could watch myself in a, in a positive way, you know? So uh, that, that's the funny thing because, uh, you know, people from the so-called third world or, or minorities or black or even women as well, all their life, they were somehow forced to change the characters to characters they could apprehend and, uh, and understand because they didn't see themselves on the screen. But at the same time, you are, uh, you know, you are an audience like any other audience. You want to root for the good guy. You end up identifying with the people who are persecuting you on screen. Yes, of course. But in your reality, you knew that it was not the truth, but you have to find in your mind a way to deal with that. You're listening to the Film Comment Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service showing exceptional films from around the globe. Every day, Mubi premieres a new film, each one thoughtfully handpicked. From new directors to award winners, beautiful, interesting, incredible movies, there is always something new to discover. I'm excited to see the formerly elegant and wryly punctuated Mom Crook by the Romanian filmmaker Christy Piu. After screenings at major festivals all over the world, the film premiered exclusively on Mubi on April 3rd. And I recommend checking out the haunting, rigorously beautiful beginning, the debut feature from Georgian director Dea Kulumbegashvili. If you'd like to check out these films, you can try Mubi free for 30 days at mubi.com slash film comment. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash film comment for a whole month of great cinema for free. This episode is also sponsored by Amazon Studios, presenting Time, now nominated for an Academy Award for Best Documentary Feature, and hailed by the Los Angeles Times as one of 2020's great documentaries. Time is the most honored documentary of the year, winner of Best Documentary by the Gotham Awards, National Board of Review, Los Angeles Film Critics, National Society of Film Critics, and winner of two IDA awards, including Best Director for Garrett Bradley. 
Time is streaming now on Prime Video. Just to flip my previous question, do you then remember the first movie that made a really powerful impression on you in that, in how it centered you or centered people of the third world or centered Africans in a radical way? I, I would say yes, but in the in the deconstructive way. Uh, I remember, uh, you know, watching thousand uh, thousand. Uh, in the forest with a lot of uh, black characters running everywhere like crazy. Uh, you know, Haiti is, is an independent country. Uh, at my age, I grew up with people who were, you know, all sort of from peasant to doctors to militaries, officers to everything. So I already had a view of humanity with black people at the center. So I knew that was a caricature. I knew that on the contrary, it maybe uh, I can vaguely think that I probably had racist thoughts in thinking that, oh, that's how the Africans are like, but I'm not African, you know? I had forgotten my own roots, but thankfully in Haiti, from your first class, you learn about your own history. So I was very early on confronted with reality. And, and, and I think that since that, those days, I started always to deconstruct. So, uh, and I felt, and that's probably what helped me in, 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 in the films I made, is that um, I, ne I never felt for, for this dominant narrative. I was always in rebellion towards those images. The series in many ways is reinventing or subverting some of the tropes of conventional historical documentaries, you know, the ones that you see on History Channel and other, you know, public television that tell you the story of the world. And one of the most powerful ways in which you do that is through the voiceover, um, you know, just not just that it's you, you know, you're not a Western figure, you're not this uh you know one of those voice of god type no, neutral neutral uh, uh you know storyteller exactly and you place yourself in the story very very prominently can you tell me a little bit about uh you know why you decided to do the voiceover and how you went about crafting it that was a very organic process when i start crafting the the, the film the episodes by the way, my first draft, uh, we were we had fifteen episodes. You know, basically those. I was curious. Yes. How you managed to actually, you know, even say, okay, I'm going to finish at this point because. Yeah. No. No. You. You. That kind of work, you have to go. You have to have everything on your table. You. You can't just do one and do the other. No. You have to have everything. Like you're feeding a computer. You know, you have to feed it with everything. And, and that everything where the substance that I got from the three books uh, and my own uh, writing, my own journal, my own feelings. And when I put everything on, on, on the walls, I basically had 15 episodes. Of course, I knew there is no way I, I was going to do a 15 episode film on that. Uh, it would have been unwatchable. So 
step by step, you know, along the process, uh, and that's what we do. Uh, you know, we we came down to a, a length that was exactly the film, that was exactly uh, everything we wanted, you know, but in a very concentrated, very efficient form, uh, and and where I I don't miss all the other episodes because they are in there. They are in, in those four episodes. And uh, regarding the voiceover, I remember the first attempt they were, I thought, okay, uh, I know I need a voice, but I didn't want to do the same as I am not John Negro because it was particular and, and the voice there was perfect because it was Baldwin. It was clear from the, because everything, all the sentence in the film were Baldwin. So it was about Baldwin voice. Uh, for this film, I thought even of a dialogue, maybe two voices, or sometimes uh, would I take the voice of Sven or Roxanne? I went through different things. But at one point, especially because I had to use the voice for the editing, and it was my voice, and I at some point it became so organic, and, and right on point that, uh, that it was clear I, I have to, to use my voice, you know, because uh, I am too direct in what I say to let anybody else say them for me. You know, I, I had to take the responsibility. And the, in fact, one of the only last problem uh, is that you can hear my English is not perfect. And I didn't want to be distracted. I don't. I didn't want the audience to be distracted by my voice or my, my accent. Or but then uh, I specifically trained to make the voiceover. You know, I, I took four months of really so that that you feel at ease with the voice with the voiceover. I had a coach who worked with me during those months, and in the studio as well. I make sure that the voice was perfect, you know, because I know uh, uh, it cannot it cannot suffer of any distraction, you know, and and so yes, it it becomes and, and it became central, and of course it it makes everything else more credible, and it it makes also credible when I say in the film, um, you know, once you put yourself inside your own movie. Uh, it's because it's important, and in that case, you have to go for broke. You know, and that's exactly what I did. I have to say, uh, I you say you say that you were worried about your English or your accent, but it's just refreshing to hear, you know, not like the traditional British or American accent give a voiceover to these kinds of histories and. Those are accents too. It's just that we're so used to hearing them that we start to think of them as unaccented. But yes, of course, you know. Yeah, <laughs> but but what they do is is I mean I, I call them narrate, uh, and narrator is for certain uh, uh, stories are perfect, you know, but uh, not that kind of personal story uh, that I do, and and it it has to be personal, you know, especially today. You know, people are suspect of so much of everything, basically, uh, that 
I have to find a way to to purse this this screen and and to be with you and that to engage you in a very personal way and 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 there is no other way and and you know when you if you read a text or you narrate a text it it puts immediately a lot of distance between you and the material but there is no distance between the material the material is me it's my life it's it's what i went through it's my own story but it's also story i i i challenge throughout my life on three four different continents so it's it's the real story so i cannot you know evade that and and put some artificial voice on that uh, one of the most striking moments in which i think you use your voice very creatively is when you take a picture um of this white man a colonizer and uh, an african boy and you kind of describe you know their thoughts while the picture is being taken and you voice the boy i thought that was a very interesting choice i mean you really placed yourself in that picture yeah 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 well that's that's what you do you know when one uh, you 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 choose a pattern and the best way to make the pattern work is when sometimes you break it you know and suddenly you see all the differences and and you you know it's like writing a poem you know and 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 there are several different verses so because the the verses are different they are telling as well a story you know if it was just a repetition you know it would be at some point boring you know but you make sure that the repetition is not a repetition but a different angle so i use my voice like this you know it because it has to stay uh, um um a voice that reflect emotions as well you know that's also what i did with samuel jackson uh, for i am the your negro you know uh in fact that's the only direction i i gave him was to Samuel Jackson you know uh you know don't narrate be the voice be Baldwin which mean you know if you're reading something hard your voice is harder if you are reading or you are playing something uh, uh more dramatic or more sad uh, sadder your voice is you can you have to feel the emotion through your voice and that's what Samuel Jackson did phenomenally well you know he was you know he he was baldwin he was playing he was not playing he was being baldwin you know and that's what makes the difference you know the voice is not playing the voice is you know with all its mistakes uh, all its its anger sometimes its sadness sometimes its irony sometimes or or is you know is is a cynicism sometimes as well so so then you are engaging with a character you know so that that's why my 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 documentary or my narratives of it's about character it's about telling a story and it's about character and a character have to be alive if you are a human being well you have pain Uh, you have joy you have doubt you have all that and you have to bring all this also in in your in your uh, not reading in your acting 
you know, there's a line, I think it's in the first or second episode where you say, this is not historical research. This is a story. Uh, why, why did you think that was important to lay on the record? Because the, the historical research is already what Sven, Roxanne, and Michel Rolf have done. And through that, I just wanted to regain my, my, my freedom and, and my uh, uh, subjectivity as an artist. It's like saying, okay, I cover, covered all the spots. My story is uh, solid. Now let me tell you my way. You know, that's, that's what it meant. Don't, don't, try, don't come back at me and say, but Raul, you say this and this in the third episode, but that's not totally true because the, the pilgrim happened that way. Say, no, I'm not going to indulge in that discussion. You can have that discussion for yourself in reading the books. This is a film, this is my voice, and I'm telling you the story how I felt it. So you can either like it or not like it, but we're not going to enter a discussion about you know, details or about, you know, uh, I, I'm not writing a PhD. You know, I don't have to give you every page my sources. And you've already given us your sources. And so yes, exactly. You said, you know where my sources are. Now relax, just follow the film. That's what it means. And, uh, you know, when we started talking, you said that something about your experience with I'm Not Your Negro uh, made you realize that you needed some fictional, some scripted elements here. Can you yeah. talk more about that? What was that epiphany that you had? Well, it, it's just because of the sheer uh, um, vastness of, of the project. Uh, I knew Baldwin was complicated to find, you know, but once I found the process, I found the story, I found how to tell it, and all the decisions were taken. And the story worked very well like this with uh, Samuel Jackson's voice. Uh, but it was one character, you know? But now I knew I was facing multiple characters, you know? And how do I keep that on the wrap? How do I keep that coherent? You know, it was a much more complex. Um, and the experience with I Am Not Your Negro told me that it was possible. You know, so uh, I was able to imagine a bigger risk because for me, making just making another film, it's, it's not enough. You know, all my film built on each other. And I, I try very specific experiment within them. Uh, I like challenging the forms. You know, I don't think any of my films are similar, but you can also see the evolution, film after film. I use the experiment I made uh, as well from documentaries as as well from fiction. So I knew with the multiplicity of uh, characters that I had in, in uh, Exterminate All the Brutes, I would need so many different ways to tell it because those images did not always exist. So I knew somehow 
the aspect of narrative, scripted narrative is something I, I know how to do. You know, I write screenplays, I've done narrative. So why not bringing something I, I, I know I can do well? You know, it's like playing, you know, it's like a, 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 a musician who plays different instruments, you know. And I did this film with a small group of seven musicians. And now I said, okay, this subject is even bigger and wider. I need a symphonic orchestra. And the narrative is one of the elements. Maybe they are the, the violins and the, the, all the chords, instruments, you know? And, and that's how I, I imagine it, you know? Uh, using any mean, means necessary to make this story happen. Because I had no choice. The, the images I want or I needed don't exist. So how do I, how do I make them mine? The fictional scenes, you you know, you are uh, you have Josh Hartnett, you have Alex Deka, you know, you have some really incredible actors, and they're they're really like experimental short films. I mean, the sequence with Alex Deka is just uh, so fascinating. It's bending time. It's, it has this gothic sci-fi element. Tell me a little bit about working with the actors to to contrive these scenarios. Well. These are things because they are they have indeed an experimental aspect to them, uh, and experimental in the sense I am experimenting something. I'm experimenting a way to tell stories within a different and complex structure, and and at the same time they mean something in terms of the narrative because when we care, come to that scene we are already in a mind that is having nightmares, you know? And it's funny because the first ideas from them was uh, in, in Sven's book, there are nightmares. There are nightmares uh, of, that he had, there are nightmares that some of the characters he, he portrayed had. And, and, and the aspect of ghost in uh, part of, of Roxanne's book and also of Michel Rolf and my own nightmares and my own ghosts. You know, I knew I had to tell that part of the story as well. And it's probably the most uh, vibrant and, and intimate because the dream or a nightmare, that's what it is, is your subconscious uh, being active. And uh, so, you can do that, especially with actors you know and with actors who trust you. And, and Josh, I, I knew Josh for 20 years now or 25 years. Uh, and um, Alex played in different films of mine. So my, my uh, first prerogative were to find actors either I work with and who I trust and who trust me and other actors who have a particular way to approach acting, you know, uh, I can say all of the actors in the film are actors who, who have a very uh, strict feeling for reality. They don't play, they are. Just one final question to wrap things up, but 
you in the series you're like positioning this story very pointedly against an era of fake news and centuries of false histories i'm curious what do you who do you imagine as the audience of the film and what sort of impact do you hope for it to have are you worried like about preaching to the choir for instance no uh, there are several uh, layers in in the question and in my my answer um first of all um what we call today the fake uh, news or fake uh, whatever it is for me it's nothing different as far as my concern history is mostly fake the one that i was taught so for me everything is in question uh the fake approach uh, à la trump à la donald trump is just uh, an epiphenomenon it's just the exaggeration of something that had been deteriorating for a long time you know i i saw the evolution of of the discourse of the dominant discourse you know when when i don't know uh when there was a dictatorship in my country uh you have you had um, the american government saying well um we are we have to uh, help that man because he's he representing he represent democracy but we all knew that he was a dictator they all knew but for because they had other interested uh, interest they supported that man so there was a con- contradiction right there that every haitian could see you know so the fake uh, uh, you know word uh, you can get it out as far back you know the idea of i just you know columbus coming back and say i just discover america and because i discover it it exists this is totally false it's just in his, in his mind there were 100 million people living on the continent and this poor man came in and say i discovered you you know that's exactly like the same story in in the episode 4 the guy enter a bar and say this is my bar now and everybody is watching him you know what's wrong with this guy so that's what the film talks about as well you know and to your question other part of your question who intended you know we and when i say we is all the rest of the eurocentric mind we have abandoned long time ago to think from inside that citadel you know i have friends who are scholar you know uh, two 2 3 months at duke and 2 3 months in south africa 2 3 months in oxford you think they think as the world as defined by by europe all these years we don't see the world like this the world is not what the dominant culture think it is no it's the whole rest so we are shifting that that pov that's what it is about and and uh, so for me there is you know 
the, the film is for everybody. You know, everybody will understand part of its, its, his own or her story. You know, it's about how do we put everything on the table? You know, there is no different history. There is one history, except that the one that had been told uh, until now is only telling one side of it. The side of the people who won or who think they won. Because, in fact, what is winning when you have at the end to build walls around your pyramid? That's not winning. You know, so that, that's circling the caravan against the, the, the red, uh, red skin. You know, that's what it is. Nothing else. So that's, on the contrary, the film wants to explode that, that very formalistic, very Eurocentric uh, view of humanity. So I just want my film to go out there and, and uh, break all the walls. And explode things. Exactly. Well, that's a great note to end on. Uh, thank you so much, Raul. Absolutely enlightening chat. I mean, it's it's deepened my appreciation for the series so much. And uh, I'm, I'm still grappling with everything I learned from it. There was so much that I didn't know either. So thank you for that. Yeah. Well, you can watch it four or five times. You will always find stuff because it's, I know it's very rich. It's, it's very dense. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so worth revisiting. So thank you for that and uh, good thank luck. You. And I'm excited for people to receive it. So thank you very much. This episode of the Film Comment Podcast is sponsored by Movie and Amazon Studios and is made possible by our subscribers and members and patrons of Film at Lincoln Center. The Film Comment Podcast features original music by Greg Einge. Film Comment is a publication of Film at Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has been the home of independent film journalism publishing in-depth interviews, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, arthouse, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com. This episode of the Film Comment Podcast is sponsored by Amazon Studios, presenting Borat's subsequent movie film. Nominated for two Academy Awards, Best Supporting Actress, Maria Bakalova, and Best Adapted Screenplay, and the winner of a WGA Award for Outstanding Adapted Screenplay, Borat's subsequent movie film is streaming now on Prime Video.